We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Recruiters, reduce your cost per candidate by about 50% with CareerBuilder. We connect you to qualified, diverse candidates at every stage of the hiring funnel. CareerBuilder Talent Acquisition Suite. Software packed with talent. Visit hiring.careerbuilder.com forward slash recruit. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend. Norm Hightower and... Magic Johnny Gomez live on the show tonight, guys. How you doing? Good. Can't can't complain at all. Just good and can't complain. You guys bore me. Absolutely bore me. Well, I mean, I guess I could complain, but who's going to listen? Our listeners don't want to hear about my problems. Well, I don't want to hear about about your problems either. But we still have to. Norm does. Norm cares. I do. I'm a caring guy. Oh gosh. Well, all right. Before we even get to our guest today, let's go ahead and knock this out real quick, folks. 
we could really use that five-star review on iTunes. So if you could head on over there, that five-star review, once we get 100 of those things, we're going to give out a $50 gift certificate over to NFLShop.com. Hopefully you're getting random stuff. Also, you can subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM. Also, don't forget that IEBeatRadio.com has our show on Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. Appearing today as part of our show, as part of our tour around the league, is USA Today Cards, Wires, and B-Red, C-Red podcast host, Jess Reed. He's a regular here. I hope you're here to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. Then we'll visit with Garrett Sisti from Bolts from the Blue in the Lightning Round podcast to discuss the Los Angeles Chargers. So before we even get to Garrett, let's go ahead and pass you over. We did this interview with Jess yesterday. We're able to get him on live tonight, so check it out. All right, I'm here with the Cards Wire, USA Today Cards Wire's Jess Root, who also runs the Rise Up Sea Red podcast for the Arizona Cardinals. Jess, I'm just going to pepper you with questions here about the Cardinals, our offseason, and what's been going on over there, and just see how much input you can give us about where this team is going, what's really been happening. Uh, you've had a big change in the guard there, so you ready? I am. Have at it. Okay, so the first thing, I'm just going right down the list here. Bruce Arians retires. Carson Palmer retires. What does this do to the organization out there? Well, it kind of sets them back five years. It puts them in the same situation they were five years ago when, when they fired Ken Hunt and they had no quarterbacks, and it all seemed to work out. They hire Bruce Arians. They trade for Carson Palmer. They sign Drew Stanton. And following that, five years, the greatest five-year stretch in team history. Uh, the last two seasons were disappointing, but but you look at the five years, 50 wins, that's never been accomplished before uh, by a coach. They get to the NFC Championship game in 2015. Injuries kind of derailed them the last couple, but now you know, Bruce retires, Carson retires. It, it leaves a lot of questions. What they still have in place is some some young talent. Some They have a talented defense in place. They've got David Johnson. Larry Fitzgerald decides to return. And so the, the key elements, well, who's the coach? Who's the quarterback? And those questions have all been answered now. Steve Wilkes gets hired. He is, he looks, I mean, everything that we've seen and heard from him sounds good. Um they signed Sam Bradford. They signed Mike Glennon. They're not sexy picks by any means, and people people laugh at that at the at the signing of Bradford. But considering what quarterbacks go for, they have a basically an average deal for a quarterback who has gotten average to good performance when he's healthy, and he's due to be healthy after his knee injury last year. Yes, he's got the uh, was Mike Zimmer called it degenerative. There is an issue in there that, that you always gonna, you always have to know. At some point, that knee's going to give out again. He had two years in a row uh, where he was relatively healthy in 2015, 2016. So people tend to forget that. Yes, yes, he missed a lot of time last year. But if you look at 2015, 2016, he was, he was healthy those two years. Missed a couple games here and there for, for other issues. And, and so Sam Bradford, is, Sam Bradford is now the starter. Mike Glennon is the backup. And... Add to that, the Cardinals make their move for their young quarterback. They move up five spots in the draft. Thank you, Cleveland Browns, for kind of throwing the draft around, drafting Baker Mayfield number one, and then instead of taking Bradley Chubb, taking Denzel Ward, which really kind of set everything astray from what everyone thought in mock drafts. 
Josh Rosen becomes available. They're able to trade up to number 10 and do so for only a third and a fifth round pick. And they get Josh Rosen, which means it completes their quarterback room. So they've got a strong defense that returns. Um, a coach who is defensive-minded, who's gotten performance out of his defenses. You've got uh, an established veteran quarterback in Sam Bradford. You now have the quarterback of the future in place. And things are looking up. Even though from a national perspective, the Cardinals are going to be bad this year. Well, yeah, the, I'm not sure how we would define bad, though, when it comes to the Cardinals right now. I mean, we've been in this division together for a long time, and we know what kind of football the Cardinals bring. And it's it's hard to, to really estimate an idea where they would have, like, three or four wins. I don't see that. I see a, a team with a strong defense that will win more than we think it will. So what are the actual expectations out there for next year? It, locally, within the team, within the fans, uh, I, they, I think we're expecting a middling team that can compete. Kind of what they've done already. Sam Bradford's history is... He's always right around 500. Now, granted, he's never won more than seven games in a season. Uh, there's some worry about that. I mean, there's some talk about that. But while the Vegas is setting the over-under at five and a half, which is, by the way, the same as what they have for the Cleveland Browns, uh, both Vadas have their new odds out after the draft. Their, uh, their Super Bowl odds went from 50 to 1 before free agency after the season last year to 66 to 1 for after free agency now are 80 to 1. Only six teams have longer odds at 101. That includes teams like the Browns and the Bengals and the Bears and the Dolphins and the Bills. So the inept, the people that the teams that people see as the inept teams in the league right now, the Cardinals are barely above them. Nationally, people aren't expecting much. We expect here a competitive team. I don't know if they're going to compete for the division. On paper, the Rams seem to have made all the right moves to on paper, run away with this division. But uh, a Cardinals team that should compete in the division and should compete for a playoff spot is kind of the expectation this year. All right, so that's, you know, you're saying compete in a division and compete for a playoff spot. That is going to be around, you know, let's say, what, 7 to 10 wins maybe? Yeah, I, I had them pegged for a 7 to 9 year personally. I, I see their floor to ceiling being to between six and ten wins this year. I don't think they're going to be worse than six games this year unless Bradford's hurt and then Josh Rosen is overwhelmed. And I don't think he will be if he plays. Um, I see a best-case scenario of ten wins because of their schedule, and that's if everything going well. So I, I see I see this team as a seven and nine team who has, if things go well, a chance to, to make the playoffs. All right, well, it, well tell us about Steve Wilkes, your, your new head coach. What do you know about him? What about him has you encouraged about to have, you know, between that 6 and 10 win area? Well, one for one, he's been successful at everything that he's done. He says a lot of the same things. The words he uses remind you of some of those more arrogant coaches, but he says it in such a way where it's not cartoonish. He turned to Michael Bidwell, the, the team president, and said, he told the guys who hired him, it's like, I know you made the right decision. And he says he's been successful. He expects to win. He expects to compete. So he's saying things that remind you. I mean, the Cardinals have had a history of, of some cartoonish type things dating back to Buddy Ryan in the 90s who said, you've got a winner in town, to, to Denny Green pointing to, have the, with a chart, showing his 600 career winning, winning record. Uh, Wilkes said a lot of kind of the same things without the cartoonish antics to it. 
There's a quiet confidence and arrogance. He's been successful at everything that he's done. As a D-backs coach, as a defensive backs coach, he's taken those players and turned them into great units. He was part of a, a Chargers team that went from terrible defensively to top of the top of the line defensively and and did that with with some defensive players that he developed. He's developed late round picks. You've seen the work was done with players like Antonio Cromartie or or Josh Norman. And then as as a defensive coordinator, when he was promoted, he's a defensive coordinator and assistant head coach in Carolina, they continued to be strong, continued to be physical. And and he's been building on this. It's it's you can tell it's he's ready for this job. He's not overwhelmed by it. He's new to it. But you, you get the feeling he has a plan in place. He knows what to do. He's got guys defensively that he can trust. And he has the offense. And while he has a system he wants, he's, he's hired an offensive coordinator in Mike McCoy, who is varied in his background. It's not going to be a Bruce Arians offense, which everyone likes to talk about. Chuck, you know, a pumpkin chucking offense, just throw the ball down the field. Mike McCoy's kind of done a little bit with everything he's worked with. Tim Tebow, he's worked with Philip Rivers, he's worked with Peyton Manning, he's worked with all sorts of players, all sorts of quarterbacks, and his reputation is one for being very flexible. So he's not going to try, he's going to take his system and scheme, and he's going to adapt it to the particular strength of those players, which is kind of the calling card for what the this Cardinals team wants to do. Wilkes, though, um, he commands a room. He commands a room. He, he draws respect from his players. He draws respect and he commands a room even with the media. So it's you like the feeling that you get so far. Obviously, you know, the proofs of the pudding, we're going to see what happens on the field. But his demeanor and what he's done thus far tells you that. And, and plus the fact that the Cardinals weren't a bad situation to come in. This isn't like when Bruce Arians came in and they fired him because they'd have three years in a row with, with losing streaks of six games or more. They were in a situation where they could get quarterback. They didn't have a quarterback, but there's a talent in place on this roster. So you're you're getting a team that's been competitive for the last four, four or five years. Uh, it's a team that's no longer the doormat of the NFL, now no longer a joke in the NFL. And you take over that team now that's got, got some credibility in the league. So you feel like this team is not lost. Now you mentioned Bruce Arians' offense. You mentioned you know how Bruce Arians left this team in terms of how he got it. Was when it comes to Bruce Arian though, what's the what's the overall feeling about him? Were the were the was the team itself a little bit stale with him at that point? At the end of the season was it just you know other factors? What were you led in the end to his retirement? Um, age and I mean he's old. <laughs> he's had health issues. Uh, there was talk. There was chatter. He might have retired after 2016, but he wanted to get it one more. He wanted to give it one more year at least. They had kind of talked about it. Now, this is this came out after the fact. It was kind of going to be their last year. They, they knew in about November that it was time. He's had several health issues. He's older. And with Carson Palmer, he was going to retire. It was a perfect time to move on. He would have liked to have get a, gotten a quarterback in place. That's probably the one thing he wished he could have done. But the Cardinals are right there. Both the last two years, the, the eight-win team, the seven-win team, injuries just ravaged the team last year. I mean, they lost David Johnson. They lost DJ Humphreys. They lost, they lost Mike Upati. They lost uh, Jared Vildier on the offensive line. On the defensive, on, they lost Tyvon Branch, who was playing at a Pro Bowl level at safety. They lost, they lost their 2016 sack leader, Marcus Golden, for the year. They were just 
hit by with injury after injury after injury and still managed to win eight games when Drew Stanton and Blaine Gabbert were starting half the games. Uh, 2016 was a case where the offense played well, the defense played well, and special teams was atrocious. And they had to deal with injuries that well. And so it came to be the last two years, injuries really took their toll and kind of sapped the Cardinals of the potential that they could have been those last two years. Okay, well now you have a new generation there, and how is the team now reloading from those two years? Well, and that's that's where they're at now. And so the, obviously the quarterback situation was needed. They added to the offensive line. So they, they've got – here's the thing. The one thing that raises questions with the Cardinals this year is because the players they've all added have a history of durability problems. Uh, Sam Bradford, injuries has been his history. They brought in Andre Smith and Justin Pugh on the offensive line. Guess what? injuries have been the reputation that they've had pretty much everything they did in free agency. And, and it's in part because they did not have a ton next year. They're going to have right now, but I think they've got like $98 million of cap space available for 2019. They've gone with players who have injury issues and hope that the depth behind them can do it. Well, then they go at the top of the draft. They take Josh Rosen. What's the one knock when the one big knock in football about Josh Rosen. And that would be, his durability, he's had concussions, he's had a shoulder injury to come back from. And so they've reloaded with talents that you that should upgrade their positions overall, but they comes with the same doubt and the same, well, if they stay healthy. That's, this, is, this is the 2018 Arizona if they stay healthy Cardinals. Okay, well, you have your draft class here, Christian Kerr from Texas A&M as well, adding, some, adding a little bit of backup. Um, going down later on Mason Cole, the center from Michigan. It seems like you guys are filling some serious holes there as well. Chase Edmonds getting a backup over there for David Johnson. Chris Campbell is a guy I liked. We did a profile on him over here. He's a guy who can come in and maybe earn a spot in the roster. How did you feel overwhelmed about this draft? The draft I was really thrilled with. I mean, I give the draft an A overall, almost just for the Rosen pick alone. And it really comes at this draft class. If Josh Rosen is the only one that pans out, guess what? It's a winning class because you got your quarterback in the future. The quarterback position is so important. Um, they were lucky to get Rosen. He wasn't the quarterback they wanted reportedly. He, they, they loved Josh Allen more. Buffalo was going to get him. They, they tried to trade up for him couldn't because they didn't have the draft. They didn't have the capital to be able to make the move. Worked out all right. Josh Rosen fell to 10. And they get the guy who, who has the least, who has the fewest football issues so to say josh allen you come across and you've got accuracy issues play lower competition baker mayfield is he too short does can he can he succeed at the nfl level um you get sam darnold can he can he cut down on the turnovers josh rosen comes with very little in the way of football doubts it's all about durability and personality, and personality seemed to impress. So I love the Rosen pick. It was it, it was a no-brainer at that point when when the tenth pick was available for them, and they could trade up. And Rosen was a you, you have to make that move. Christian Kirk I like because he is about both Rosen and Kirk have high potential, but are really they also have a really low bust factor. You 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 get the feeling that they're going to have solid NFL careers no matter what. 
Uh, Rosen, it feels to me that the only thing's going to hold him up is, is injuries. Christian Kirk, you're, you get the feeling that with the type of player and type of ability he is, he's going to be able to contribute immediately, probably be the number two receiver, maybe number three in, as a rookie. And he's a guy that you're going to, you probably can pencil in as kind of Golden Tate type production. It's not elite elites, but it's always really good. Um, the third round pick, Mason Cole, from the third round on, they're probably not big 2018 contributors. Mason Colt maybe competes for a starting job, but if you if they're looking forward to 2019, Mike Upati left guard and AQ Shipley at center are both going to be free agents, so they can plug him in at center or at left guard as he's comfortable playing anywhere on the interior. Um, Chase Edmonds, if you're looking at 2018, I don't think Josh Rosen plays much. I think Sam Bradford will be the quarterback this year, so Rosen I think is going to sit. He's going to do a Carson Palmer. Christian Kirk's going to get a ton of playing time. He's going to get a ton of production. Chase Edmonds is the guy who maybe makes the has the second most, second greatest potential, second greatest production of this Cardinals class because um, he can come in and back up David Johnson. It's not going to be great production because if he's backing up David Johnson, he's just going to get a few touches. Chris Campbell at cornerback, I I still see him as 2019 and beyond. And then Corey Cunningham, their their seventh round pick, it's taken a flyer on a guy who. Super athletic, six six three ten has a four nine forty thirty six inch vert. A former basketball player didn't give up a sack last year at Cincinnati, and they're too late. So their last two picks in Chris Campbell and Corey Cunningham, you get to see what the coaching staff can do. Steve Wilkes with the reputation of being able to develop late round defensive backs. Okay, Chris Campbell. Ray Brown, uh, the offensive line coach, one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the league, has done great things with with undrafted and late round picks. That's the whole made with Corey Cunningham. Is that going to happen in 2018? No, but I think they, with the way the team is set up, they got the receiver they need now, and they have production and depth in place for 2019 and beyond. All right, last question here. The last question, and I, I promise I'll be nice. Um, Sam Bradford, as a Ram, was, um, well, shall we say, uh, broken a lot. Okay. <laughs> yes. And now you go out and you guys take Josh Rosen. I, I can tell you, you're thrilled about getting him. But he's also not a scrambler either. That offensive line for Arizona had some issues last year. And when we talked to you, 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 you were talking about how it's been getting better. And then the Rams still beat him up in, in that second meeting. Not as bad as the first time around. Where does this offensive line go this year is it is it matter of health now what adjustments do you see them making will they be able to protect sam bradford because one thing that i'm sure you know rams fans love to give you guys a hard time about is rams the rams tend to hurt cardinal quarterbacks yes yes they do and now like now you got aaron donald and adamican sue yeesh it's just just send mike glennon out for those games just (laughs) just to just to protect just to protect sam bradford it's like um, yeah, Glenn, you'll start those games. That way Sam can survive. No, um, I think what now, none of the guys on the offensive line they have currently, except, except for, let's say, DJ Humphreys, is, is considered to be great at the pass blocking. All of them are really good at run blocking. Really good. And Steve Wilkes wants to establish, establish number one, I think they're going to be a run-based offense. And I... So here's the balance. Here's the debate that you have. What's the best way to protect your quarterback? Is it to get a great pass-blocking line? Or is it to build a run-blocking line 
and run the ball really well with one of the best running backs in the NFL. I'm going to lean with, it doesn't matter how good your pass blocking line is if you can't run the football. So that would still put, if you're still having Sam Bradford drop back 40 times to, to throw the football, guess what? You're, you're putting him in, in danger every single time. So if you can limit that to 25 to 32 times a game and have a strong rushing offense, if they can establish that run, I think that's how you protect the quarterbacks because then you're not asking them to do Carson Palmer things. You are also keeping the – you're not asking them to take deeper drops, throw the ball down the field. And it feels like that the Cardinals this year will – well, they'll have their shots down the field – are going to be a safer offense. Uh, Sam Bradford is not known to be – very careful with the football, a very low interception. So if he's going to get rid of the football quickly, they're going to run the ball. And, and if they're, if the Cardinals are going to stay healthy at quarterback, it'll be because they are good at running They that they can run the football uh, consistently. All right. Well, it's been great to catch up with you. I'm sure we'll talk again during you know, the season. Well, twice, twice during the season, like we always do. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And we'll catch up again here in the fall. All right, thanks, guys. All right, thanks, Jess. All right, that's Jess Root from USA Today. Always good interview. All right, guys. So he's actually was – I felt like Jess was he's, – he's kind of on the same wavelength I am when it comes down to the Cardinals. They're not going to be 4-12. They're not going to be a horrible team. I don't know how good they can be quite yet. I still have a lot of doubts about quarterback. What did you guys take from that interview? I kind of feel like they're in the position the Rams were in a few years ago where <laughs> – they aren't going to have probably much of a passing game. They don't have much of an offensive line, and they're going to try to run the football, and they're going to see a lot of eight men in the box, and it's going to be scary. That's kind of how I see it. I think he was a little overly optimistic, but overall, you know, they're not as bad a team as, as most people think. Yeah, as far as the Cardinals go, I can kind of see why there is a little bit of optimism there because they do have parts of – you know, a really good team. But at the same time, there are a lot of key areas that's seriously lacking. I think the general the general hope with the Cardinals is that they hope that they can get the running game back to the elite level that it once was. And kind of need an offensive line for that, but yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see about that. The uh, passing game is still a question mark. Uh, what Sam Bradford are you going to get? Is Sam Bradford going to stay healthy? especially with that offensive line. Uh, will Josh Rosen overthrow Sam Bradford? I highly doubt it. There's just too many question marks for me to be too, too optimistic, uh, even, you know, even for that level. You know, the, the NFC West is a little bit too uh, competitive for that. Don't forget, though, the Cardinals aren't exactly the same Cardinals that were there 30 years ago and the team that was probably like the worst franchise in the league for the longest period of time. This is a franchise that's stable now. They have a good front office in place. They have, you know, solid coaches that have stayed on from when Bruce Arians was gone. I mean, when he left. So I don't see there being this permanent downturn for the Cardinals. I do think that just like you guys are saying, pass protection is an issue. I'm not so sure that they won't be able to solve some of the running issues though. You get one of the best running backs in the league back. If some of those things work out. I think they'll be better on, on the ground, but then Norm, you're saying eight men in the box. 
Well, it depends. If they can run well enough to get their passing game going, then then it'll work out. But that's what we thought with the Rams, too, and it didn't happen, as you saw. And uh, I, their secondary is, is form, you know, they're formidable, but they're, not, they're certainly not on the upper tier level right now. And I just don't see... I just don't see them being able to go out with their offense and light it up passing the football. So if they're going to run the football, teams are going to depend on that. They're going to spend a lot of eight men in the box. And I think you're going to see a lot of results like you did, you know, when we were trying to run Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley with a sprinkle of Tavon Austin every once in a while. I I just don't, they're not going to have great success doing it. They will win some games. You know, I can see him. I can see him winning six or seven this year, maybe eight if if they can win outside the division. As far as the division goes, though, I see him being at the bottom. Johnny, well, as far as uh, I mean, just to add a little bit to that, you know, you don't know what what running back is coming back either. You don't know if David Johnson's going to return back to form. You know, you don't know if this is going to be the running team that they hope is going to be. So as far as anything else is concerned, offense is like one of the biggest question marks and defenses are really any better. So I don't know. Being in the NFC West at this time isn't isn't ideal for the Cardinals. So I'm not going to say they're going to be in a permanent rut, but it's definitely not happening this season. I don't know about a permanent rut. I don't think anybody's really thinking that, but I tend to think that they're kind of influx, turning over, reloading. And I think what's really going to hurt them is the fact that this division is actually going to be pretty good next year. Every team in this division, from the Seahawks to the Cardinals to, you know, of course, the Rams and the 49ers, are going to be able to win any week. So I, I don't see that changing for a couple of years yet. And if that's the case, then the Cardinals have some work to do to catch up, especially in terms of developing Josh Rosen and getting some pass protection back there. I also, Norm, you mentioned over and over again, kind of the Rams were offensively a couple of years ago. The difference to me, though, is I don't think anybody else in the league lacks the creativity that happened under Jeff Fisher. I don't think the Cardinals are already going to be that open and apparent to the point where they're going to have to stack the box almost every play with eight or nine men, and that's going to be it. No passing game whatsoever. Bradford's a better quarterback than that, even if, if he's healthy. Well, right. That's if he doesn't. You know, if he makes it through preseason, but um, the Seahawks, <laughs> the Seahawks and the Cardinals are in a very similar situation to where they're having to do some reload, and they're the, both teams are not, you know, in such horrid shape that they can't they can't come back out of it. I just think that the Cardinals are a little bit behind where the Seahawks are right now, and I think the 49ers are going to be a step above both of them. So that's why I say they'll be at the bottom. But I don't think, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be a horrible team. I'm just saying. I don't think they're going to have the kind of success that maybe Jess is kind of implying. I think it's going to be a little tougher than that. That's all. Yeah, the the schedule's brutal though. So like even even if they don't have the best record, you know, they still are going to have a really solid team. Just the record won't really show how solid of a team it's going to be. So this is where I think people are going to kind of underrate them a little bit as the season goes on. Because th- this isn't going to be a really tough schedule this year. It's going to be brutal for the NFC West. Yeah, it is the problem. Like we mentioned before, the Rams could actually, and they obviously are on paper better than last year. They're better. Than, they're going to be better next year. But the record may actually, believe it or not, be worse because of just the difficulty in the schedule. Now, at least with the Rams, 
the Rams' schedule in terms of how it's lined up is favorable. The, the bye later on, they have you know a couple, some home games early. They finish up two out of three at home, so they have some advantages built in. But the Cardinals don't have those straight those same advantages, and they're not as talented. So we'll see. We'll see how this turns out. I'm with you. I I think. You know, there can always be a surprise. You know, the Seahawks could be better than we think. The Cardinals could we could be better than we think. The 49ers, we already think, is pretty good. They could be better than we think. I mean, you just never know with the NFC West. It's it's a tough division to play in, and you, you might not expect the team to do well, and everything might just click for them. So you never know. But based on what I've seen over the years and based on, you know, my experience, I, I really see that the Cardinals – We'll, we'll be fighting to stay out of the bottom. I think the Seahawks and the 49ers are going to duke it out, and the 49ers will probably end up with a little bit better record. And I see us doing better than all three of them and winning the division again this year. But I, I do agree that it's going to be a tougher schedule, and our record may end up being the same or even less wins. But I'm also hoping that everything clicks with the new players that we have and, and there's no issues and we just dominate. You just – is as a – as a Rams fan for 40 plus years, actually 50 plus years, it's it's hard to be that confident. So we'll see. All right, so we're gonna move on here. We kind of given our breakdown. All right, folks, just a real quick word about our sponsor. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and like the old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis, and he's kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS, which is 7267, or use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows we sent you and get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Gold Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturday from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time. Give Sal a call at 714 714- 894-7267 a visit to his shop is worth it just to enjoy all the Rams memorabilia there but Sal also provides that old school barbershop experience talking Rams football more trust me you won't regret it Sal even managed to make my blockhead and Norm's funky looking head appear well normal alright and also we're looking for sponsors so this is a great inexpensive way to get the word out on your business our numbers are growing crazy fast right now so hey get in early We'll save you some money. Reach us at email at uh, ramstalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Okay, so here we are. Joining us now, Garrett Sisti from Bolts from the Blue and the Lightning Round podcast talk about the Los Angeles Chargers, our new crosstown rival. Garrett, welcome to the show. How you doing? <laughs> good, man. Good. Thanks. How you guys doing? Great. We're doing all right. Oh, you're chuckling. What, what's so funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, cross time, uh, cross town rivals. I mean, kinda. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can d- consider the Chargers really fighting for LA quite yet. But yes, yeah, technically yes, we're cross town rivals. <laughs> that actually feeds into my first question for you. Actually, <laughs> yes. I'm just you. You already pointed me in that direction. How goes this battle for LA? Are the Chargers winning? Are they losing? Are they staying even? What's your point of view on this? Uh. I don't know. Ask Marcus Peters. Ask Ndamukong Sue. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. 
<laughs> I don't think I think the Rams won the NFL in free agency. I mean, if we're talking just not a, forget the Chargers, uh, they went bananas. So, uh, no, I would say the battle for L.A. is um, not quite a race quite yet. Well, we are going to be roommates after all. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be tenants for sure. Yes, tenants. You know, hey, pay your rent. Yes, Use your hallway the, series. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, I mean, is, is that how you're feeling here? You're feeling like the redheaded stepchild of the family here. I mean, how's how's the feeling among Bolts Nation concerning this arrangement with the Rams? Uh, it is tough. Uh, yes, you kind of feel like the. Um, the battered roommate who's got the small room and, uh, you know, you guys got the cush, you know, room with a bathroom. We've got, you know, the, we got to have a communal bathroom. It's a, it's a, it's a nightmare scenario for Charger fans, especially those who are fans of the San Diego Chargers. Um, this is not a comfortable situation and in no way are we, uh, are the Chargers even close to being, uh, in that fight quite yet. So it is tough as a Chargers fan. Uh, we are coming around to it. But uh, I think eventually we'll get there. We'll see when the season starts. But uh, the offseason's a little tough when you hear, you know, as soon as the Chargers picks come in during the 2018 draft, as soon as they are about to announce Los Angeles, you can hear the Rams fan scream San Diego over Goodell say Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, yeah, it is not quite the fight for L.A. that the team hopes for. That's for sure. Well, I, I have family that lives in L.A. I'm originally from L.A. and my uncle is is one of them and. When the Rams left California and went to St. Louis, he'd had enough and became a Chargers fan. And so when I went down there and visited him last last uh, year at the end of the season, he was wearing his Chargers shirt. And so we were trying to convert him back to the Rams. And he, he said he's having a tough time because he's rooting for both teams. He, 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 he feels like the Rams slighted him and, you know, the Chargers took him in. And now the Chargers moved. And so he's kind of like, well, I don't know what the hell to do right now. So... <laughs> Yeah, that is. A, I mean, that's that's the story of Charger fans. I mean, you became a fan of the team, and then the owner rips that team out of the city that they've been there for fifty plus years. And then you love the players; you've grown to love them. You bought season tickets. Uh, you root for these Hall of Famers like Rivers and Antonio Gates, and then they're gone, and they go to your. You know, I know it's only you know, two hours north, but it's still it might as well be in Jupiter. You know, it's it is so far away for. San Diegans and uh, you know San Diego, LA have some bad blood too. So it's all, it's been a real tough situation for us. That's for sure. You had mentioned that the Rams kind of won the off season, you know, not just in LA but in the NFL. So what did you think of the Rams' off season moves overall in free agency and in the draft? Uh, well, for the draft, um, you know, there there weren't a lot of holes to fill, to be honest. Like. Um, they they went crazy during free agency, and I don't know if there is anybody that, you know, saw all these moves come in that the Rams did and thought that they lost free agency or weren't trying to win this year. I mean, this was unlike a free agency we've seen since when the Eagles went for it, uh, back when they signed, like, Asamoah that, that offseason. That, this is unlike we've ever seen. It, it's almost like the NBA offseason where they – you know, loaded a bunch of crazy talent all to win it this year and put all their chips in, which is great with a young quarterback like Goff. It is unbelievable what they did. Um, as a Charger fan, you think we thank you for taking Marcus Peters out of the division because uh, he was a monster and, uh, you know, one of the best corners in that division. And, uh, you know, of course, to lead to. 
So, you know, obviously that that's a plus for the Chargers. But, man, this offseason has been crazy for McVay and the Rams. Yeah, as, as far as the Chargers are concerned, they had an interesting offseason, too, particularly in free agency. Uh, what what do you feel like is going to be the next step for them? You know, what, what part of free agency is the next step for them to make the playoff, in your opinion? Uh, in free agency? Yeah. Um, I mean, in the draft, obviously, it's with James. But uh, in free agency... Uh, can I say a kicker or is that banned on this podcast? Are we not allowed to talk kickers here? Hey, kickers are people too. Hey, we got, yeah. players, we got, players are kickers too. we got Zerline. So we, we value a kicker a lot. Yeah. So the chargers were just awful, uh, in special teams and went through a few kickers this, uh, d- during last off season. In fact, they had Josh Lambeau who they cut for a undrafted free agent, young way who the Lam- Lambeau went to the Jaguars actually kicked the game winner against the Chargers during the season last season. Jaguars go to the playoffs. Lambo looks great. Uh, Young Wei Koo uh, only plays for a few games, gets cut. They bring back the uh, old kicker, Nick Novak. He gets injured, and then they bring on Nick Rose, and it was just a turnstile at uh, kicker, and they got Caleb Sturgis in free agency, which you would hope would uh, improve that lackluster special teams. But honestly, I think the biggest move that they made was signing Mike Pouncey, the center from the Dolphins. Um, obviously there's some hip issues there, but there's been some real bad center play for Philip Rivers for a couple years since, you know, since Nick Hardwick retired, which is a while ago, they had a good season for Matt Slauson two years ago, but outside of that, it's been very up and down to have a steady veteran. Who's got a real nasty attitude is going to be great for not only rivers, but also the two young guards they have on either side, which is Forrest lamp and Dan Feeney, who they drafted in last year's draft lamp was lost for the year. Feeney only played part of the year. So, Still somewhat rookies. They haven't got a ton of playing time yet, but it'll be nice to have a veteran there in the interior of the offensive line. The run game was awful last year. Pass game was actually good, but uh, they had a a real hard time around the ball, especially up the middle in the A-gap. And that's where you're going to see guys like Mike Pouncey hopefully uh, create some holes as well as Forrest Lamp and Dan Feeney. Is the special Uh, team still kind of a concern? Oh, it's it's always a concern. With the the Chargers special teams has always been a problem. It, it hasn't been good for a long time. And, uh, you know, there's been good kickers here or there and good punters here or there, but um, the coverage team has always been a problem. Uh, they haven't had a good returner since Darren Sproles, which has been a very long time. Uh, and so special teams has always been an issue. Caleb Sturgis helps that the kicking issue. Uh, they drafted Drew Kayser a couple years ago, and he had a good year last year. So at least the punting game helps. Uh, I know we're getting we're going a lot on special teams here on this podcast, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I do. But uh, and so the kicker, Caleb Sturgis, kind of helps because, um, you know, the, Caleb Sturgis got hurt with the Eagles last year. They brought on their rookie, and he was unbelievable, which made Sturgis expendable, and they were able to cut him. They liked Sturgis a lot, but there's no point in keeping two good kickers on their team. So having, you know, having Sturgis there for two years kind of should help the kicking game. And um, in terms of coverage teams, still some problems. I think with the some of the draft picks they made, I think that'll help a little bit, but uh, always a concern, always a concern for the Chargers. Well, that takes me here. How did the Chargers fare in the draft, and what were their worst and best picks? So uh, best is easy. It's Derwin James. And there was, there was no scenario where any Charger fan thought Derwin James would follow them at 17. In every mock, Derwin would never fall. And when they did, there was this universal eye roll among Charger fans going, there's no way – that Derwin James is falling to 17. No way. 
But so many things happen in front of them where, you know, a couple D tackles got taken early. Vita Vea got taken early. Deron Payne got taken early. Uh, Colt Miller got drafted. The Raiders went off the wall and, uh, and grabbed Colt Miller. And then teams were training up to grab quarterbacks. And so that all helped. And it was almost the perfect storm for a universal top five player to fall to the Chargers. And the Chargers haven't had great safety play for a long time. And so having a chess piece like Jerwin James helps in a lot of areas because he's not only a box safety, but he's played dime linebacker. They stuck him at the line of scrimmage during the run game, and he's a really good blitzer off the edge. So he's a chess piece for the Chargers and for Gus Bradley. You can really move him around and do a lot of different things, which is unbelievable because the Chargers have a spot open that was left open by Trey Boston when he left during free agency that Derwin James can now fill. There's a hybrid linebacker safety spot that was still up in the air that he could fill an extra DB and nickel and dime. Uh, he can fill in at slot corner, strong safety. There's a lot of things that he can do. And the tackling wasn't very good last year for the Chargers either, especially in the run game. Derwin helps there. So deal Derwin James was one of the steals of this draft and is one hell of a weapon for the Chargers. So that was definitely the best pick. The worst I think was the third round pick the defensive tackle, Justin Jones from NC State. Um, you know, there are good things he does. You know, he plays with good size and strength. He's got a strong lower half. He played almost every down at NC State and can play anywhere from zero to three tech, which is great. And Telesco says he could see him as a three tech and get some fill in at zero tech. But he doesn't really dominate in any particular particular area. And when you look at mocks and where Justin Jones was drafted and where people were thinking was going to be drafted he was drafted a round or two too early the third round in day two you're looking for starters and justin jones doesn't see doesn't have that upside there's a lot of other defensive tackles that were there on the board there in the third round so that was probably the most the most questionable pick questionable pick for the chargers what were your thoughts on nuoso you know um at first i didn't understand uh quite what he was going to do in this defense but you know the more i researched gus bradley's defense and went back to his Seattle days, this guy makes sense. And, you know, Nuosu is a guy that is kind of a hybrid. He isn't quite a 4-3 end. He's not quite a 3-4 outside linebacker. You don't quite know where to put him. But for Gus Bradley's auto, which is basically the Sam, uh, Gus Bradley calls it, for all your listeners that don't know what the heck I'm talking about, uh, you know, a Sam linebacker, a strong side linebacker, that uh, every other team in the league will call a Sam for whatever reason. Gus Bradley calls it an auto. So there's a whole new terminology that we had to learn when he came over for no particular reason. You just call it a Sam. But, um, you know, what what Gus Bradley looks for in his auto, which he calls a little bit different, is he wants his uh, auto to be a 4-3 Sam, a 3-4 outside linebacker, and a 4-3 end. Basically being able to do all three positions and being a hybrid. And that's what Nuosu is. He, he isn't quite a pass rusher, but he can get after the quarterback. He can set the edge. He can drop back in coverage if you want him to. And he can get after it in the run game. So there are things that he can do. It was uh, a lot of people liked the pick. A lot of people didn't like the pick. I think they got him a little bit early. But the only reason that they got him early is because they needed to fill that role. And there probably isn't another player that quite fits that niche of the auto role that Nuosu does. So Chargers get a uh, auto, play near the line of scrimmage, and uh, hopefully get off the quarterback too. Well, you had mentioned that you were thankful that the Rams took Marcus Peters out of your division so you didn't have to face him. However, in week three, it's you and us against each other in L.A. Uh, what worries you most about the Rams and what should we watch out for with the Chargers? 
Well, uh, with the charge, starting with your uh, second part of your question, obviously the Chargers defense uh, got better during the offseason, and it helps getting a guy like Derwin James. They also got Kaiser White, which helps too. Um, the biggest thing is going to be this pass defense. The Chargers have very, two very good edge rushers in Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, but what they have best probably on this team is their corners. They have Casey Hayward. Um, who has you know, been a pro bowler, been a top five corner the last two years. They have Trevor Williams, who was a top 15 corner last year, and they're getting back Jason Verrett, who was injured last year, who is a pro bowl corner as well. So they've got three very good DBs. And then when you throw in Derwin James, who can also cover near line of scrimmage, uh, Des King, who's in the running for defensive rookie of the year as well last year, there are a lot of good corners. So I think when you look at uh, the Rams wide receiver lining up, it's going to be hard going against these DBs. So that's going to be tough. I think um, the Chargers' weakest point is a run D, and they didn't get much better. The only pick they did to sure that up was Justin Jones, and I'm not sure that helps enough to help their run defense. So I think Todd Gurley probably goes nuts in that game, to be honest with you. And then in terms of the Rams, that worries me the most is, I mean, across the board, that defense is just crazy. Aaron Donald is probably one of the best players in football. I mean, I'm not just at his position. I just mean in general. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He's one of the be- one of the best defensive tackles I've ever seen in my lifetime. He is unbelievable. And we're honestly, and I'm not just kissing ass because I'm on this podcast. Aaron Donald is a joy to watch. He is unbelievable. Team him with Nadamik and Sue. And you've got two, like I mentioned earlier, two rookie guards on the interior with Mike Pouncey. That's my biggest concern going into this matchup against the Rams. That interior offensive line has got to be on their best game. And those two rookies are going to have to learn real, real quick. I know Feeney has some gains under his belt, but Lamp has none. And it's early in the season. They're going to have to communicate. They're going to have to talk. It's going to be trouble up the middle. Well, I think uh, Michael Brockers is way underrated. And when you get guys like Sue and Donald on the line, you know, getting more double teams and stuff, I, I honestly think where your problem's going to be is probably more with Michael Brockers or one of our new linebackers. Uh, just, I would keep an eye out on Michael Brockers if I were you, because I have a feeling he's going to have a pretty good game. Yeah, definitely. You had to mention that you were, you, know, you were concerned about the run defense. Were there any other holes on the roster that you were particularly concerned about? Uh, going into the draft, it would have been nice to get a backup quarterback and someone to, li- to learn under Rivers, but... When a guy like Derwin James falls to 17 and Lamar Jackson's still on the board, I don't know if you can take that chance with Lamar Jackson when you've got a player like Derwin that can help right away. That's one spot I would have liked to uh, sure up and you know learn under Rivers. But they can obviously kick that can down the road another year because Rivers is here. But um, you know, I think uh, I thought right tackle would get um, sure up in the draft and free agency. It didn't. Um, you guys might be familiar with Joe Barksdale, ex-Ram. Uh, when he came over, he was great. Uh, he signed a one-year deal, and then they, after that year, he extended him a, for four more years. And he has steadily gone hill since that contract. And last year, he he only played a handful of games. He was injured most of the time, and when he was healthy, he didn't look 100%. So with that, I thought they would go after another right tackle, and they didn't. So when you're talking about you know a guy like Michael Brockers attacking a guy like Joe Barksdale, who's kind of playing on one foot right now and hopefully he's healthy when the season starts but looks like his play is going downhill yeah it's going to be quite a mess definitely um and uh you know i think uh and i can never pronounce his name but a who you guys got too 
I think is uh, a pretty good value that you guys ended up getting and could also give him trouble because I think some of the speed uh, is some trouble for uh, Joe Barksdale. He, tr- he uh, struggles with some of the speed rushers. So um, I thought they'd fix right tackle and they didn't. And I thought they'd fix the interior defensive line. They have two spots between the zero tech and the three tech that just are not getting it done right now. Uh, Brandon Meebane is good in spurts. And Corey Legit um, has steadily gone downhill since he signed his contract as well. So there are some holes in the interior of that, uh, that defensive line for the Chargers that I thought they would fix. Now, getting, getting Jones helps in terms of depth, but there are two holes to fill, and they kind of filled one, but not quite both. So um, those are two spots that I, I was sure they were going to fix during the draft, but they didn't. Yeah, you, you had mentioned Joe Barksdale. I, I remember when the Rams lost him. And I was devastated, to be honest. Uh, it was it was at a time where the Rams' offensive line was just god awful, you know. So to lose Barksdale, uh, I, I was I was pretty devastated when he went to to the Chargers. Johnny, what are you talking about? It was god awful for about fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to forget those fifteen years, man. You're not making it easy. I'm just I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> we're getting, we're getting close to wrapping this up. Uh, the one thing I do want to ask you, your podcast is based in San Diego. And so how many, how the people of San Diego dealt with the loss of the Chargers and are still some folks stick with the team? Some are. Um, I would say most of them aren't. Um, it wasn't good for business, that's for sure. Um, I know they go to the number two market in the country, but uh, in terms of our audience, that's, you know, a lot of them decided not to follow them anymore. And, uh, you know, who could really blame them? You know, with the way it happened and, uh, you know, there wasn't there was there was a vote, but it was kind of a half ass vote about a stadium in San Diego. And Dean wasn't behind Dean Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, wasn't behind it. So there's a lot of ill will among the people of San Diego. And, you know, when I when people, you know, see me in the streets in San Diego and know my podcast, which not, not that it's that often, not like I'm a super celebrity, but, you know, when people recognize me on the street, um, you know, they're like, are you still doing that podcast? Cause a lot of people are just not listening anymore and they don't care so much. And, uh, I think there are still some fans. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's some that came over from LA, but I think most of the San Diego fans, um, said, no way am I following the chargers and no, no way am I following the NFL because there's this talk about NFL being family and the way that they were treated doesn't quite feel like family. So uh, I think a lot of them left. Uh, there's again, a lot of ill will. But there are some people who are still following them. There's a lot of people in L.A. that were fans of the Chargers that still lived in L.A. that are, of course, really still diehard fans of the Chargers. So um, it it didn't help. But, they, uh, you know, the people of San Diego uh, have not quite forgotten that. We're familiar with how that feels. You know, yeah, I know. When they left yeah. L.A. the first time, for those of us that were that were, you know, major fans at that time, some of us stuck with them. I stuck with them. Uh, I had moved out of L.A., so when they moved out of L.A., it wasn't as big a tragedy to me as it was to some folks. And then they turn around and leave St. Louis and go back to L.A. And, you know, we felt it with our podcast when they when they left. And, and now that they're back, we can we can definitely see the popularity going back up. Our numbers are going up like crazy. And, and I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it'll get that way for you guys, too, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once the football team is good, uh, it, it helps. You know, the Chargers made a started to make a playoff run towards the end of the season and uh, things got better. But yeah, I think it's, it's going to be touch and go for a while. And that's understandable. Um, before I get off, you know, I, I do a lot of draft stuff for the podcast and for the site, um, doing a lot of draft profiles, 
you guys drafted one of my favorite linebackers in T. Gray Scales. What's your guys' opinion on him? Well, we didn't draft him. They got him as an undrafted free agent, which blows my mind that that happened. T. Gray uh, went undrafted? He wow. went undrafted. Oh, so wow. I would say that with him, the Rams got a steal. I think he makes the team. I think he could end up within a couple years starting. That's how high I am on him. Now, I'm in Big Ten country, so I got to see him play. And, oh. uh, you know, he's he's definitely got some skills that blows my mind that he didn't get drafted. Yeah, that, I just hearing you say that he went undrafted is crazy to me. Yeah, I think yeah. I think he'll be one of the guys that makes the 53-man roster if he does things right, especially on special teams for the first year. Without a awesome. doubt, the, it, was a, it was a huge pickup in, as an undrafted free agent. And considering it was one of the biggest needs of the offseason, yeah, he is a good shot at making uh, making the roster, I think. All right, so, hey, Garrett, let, let us know here. Where's, where can folks follow you in your podcast? Uh, so I am on Twitter. I am at Garrett Sisti, which is easy because that's my name. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Garrett Sisti. The podcast is called the Lightning Round Podcast, if you ever want to come listen to the some Chargers talk. And, uh, of course, we'll be talking about the Rams matchup when it comes up. And it's called the Lightning Round Podcast. It is lightning underscore round on Twitter. Well, we'd love to have you on the show, uh, you know, the week before we play. And if you want one of us or a couple of us to come on your show, we'd be happy to do that. Sounds good, guys. All right. So there you go. Garrett, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, good luck to the Chargers, except for when they play us. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not going to win this battle for L.A. You realize it, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Not, not, yeah, I wonder when does that happen? When does it become a true fight? Is my question. Well, not uh, not moving to the stadium. Not to rub salt yeah, in the maybe. wound or anything, you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, um, I actually, I guess we're going to talk a little longer. I didn't mean to. I vented about this a little earlier, and I guess I need to say this with you on too. Is I had a problem with how this went down because. In L.A., L.A. and San Diego aren't exactly buddies, okay? For years, with that large Raider population in L.A., they knew nothing but hate for the Chargers. Now the NFL and Spanos expects to go to L.A. and win over this city against a team that has a historical base there in the Rams, and then the Rams go out there and do what they do. To me, it was it's the NFL should have done better with this. They really should have. And I'm not sure all the inner workings of, of San Diego as well. I'm sure that San Diego made some mistakes along the way. Is they're not they're not innocent here. But I do not think that the NFL was smart in letting this go down the way it did. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't think anybody disagrees with you. I think with the history the Rams had in LA and the history the Raiders had in LA, it makes too much sense to put them both in LA and try to get something done with the Chargers in San Diego. That just it makes too much sense, but you know, there was a lot there. You know, San Diego obviously isn't um, clear of blame for sure. But, you know, kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. But, you know, Dean Spanos put on the ballot this vote to get a stadium done in San Diego. And what he did was he put it in a space that he knew he wouldn't get it passed just so there was this show of faith that, oh, we we tried in San Diego and it didn't work. And all he wanted to do was help out his business and move into a bigger market and move away. It wasn't. It didn't make any sense. Um, if you're talking about a fan base and a relationship with the people of San Diego and the NFL, it would have made 
so much more sense to just stay in San Diego. But then they go up to L.A. and everything got screwed up between like the logos. They were flying banners outside the Charger Stadium talking about how terrible Dean Spanos was. They can't get anything right. There's just so much bad going on with this whole thing. And, you know, I just I don't think Dean Spanos knows how to do it. He just kind of undercut the Raiders, moved to L.A. before they could. And now he doesn't know what to do with himself. And he's stuck with a growing popular franchise like the Rams, who once they were welcomed back to L.A., went, that city went crazy for him. And then with the Chargers, they're hiring actors to show up to their, you know, welcome in L.A. And, you know, they're hiring, they brought, even in the draft, they don't even, they're losing all their fans. There's just, there's so much wrong with how Dean Spanos did this and how the NFL did it, that it does, it does rub everybody the wrong way. And it, it shouldn't have happened this way, but here we are. You know, Garrett, you should probably write a book on it, man. No, <laughs> I think I'm serious. Are, there is a lot, there's a lot to be told for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I think everybody's sick of hearing it by now and it's, it's done. They moved to LA. The chargers are now the Los Angeles chargers and there's not much you can do about it. The real story of why the chargers left San Diego by Gareth Sickles. <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, I'm... thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate you coming on and we know it couldn't be very comfortable to come on a Ram show you know, oh, after no. all this happened. So hopefully we didn't beat you up too bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's fine. I'll be on any time. I can all take right. it. Well, well, we'll see you week three, man. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Right, take care. You know, one thing about the Chargers there, I there is talent on that team. There's oh. no doubt in my mind. Oh, sure. San Diego's a very talented team, and they have, they have an <laughs> opportunity in front of them. Just stop. San Diego. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't help it. Oh, boy. The, well, <laughs> they was, are talented. He wasn't on anymore, so I could do that. You know, I <laughs> uh, was horrible, man. He was well, a good guest. I mean, Liked him on the show. Yeah, no, he's a good guy, and I, I feel bad for him. I, I'd, I'd hate to be in his position. Oh wait, we were in his position, kind of. We were. Mm-hmm. We were, and it brings back memories too. I remember us. We we started this website in 2013, and. Around that time, it's starting to kind of become clear something's going on, and we don't know what, but this team could move back to L.A., and then the team moves, and we lose a large portion of our readership. We didn't lose I, we didn't lose just, by the way, a, a large portion. We lost the majority of it, and then the podcast kicks up, and we were getting 11 listeners, 12 listeners, <laughs> a show, and it what you know, we all, I, you remember, we were all like, gosh, is it time to shut this thing down? Yeah, no, I remember. You know, I, I, I said to you, did did my article really have eight readers? Because <laughs> th- this isn't worth it, dude. We got to figure something out. And then finally, things turned around, and I'm sure they will for San Diego too. They may not. Or, excuse me, the L.A. Chargers. Uh, I just don't know that it'll ever turn around quite as good for them as it has for the Rams. I'm not sure their approach is conducive to that. The Rams go out there and they, they went Hollywood. They went out there and got all the stars. They got, um, they made all the flashy moves and they, and they, and by the way, they made flashy moves that made sense, right? They didn't just make moves for the sake of making moves. They filled gaps. They filled holes with those moves and they were value moves. Meanwhile, the chargers were very quiet this off season. They got some nice things in the draft. They filled a couple needs at center and a kicker. But they didn't do anything flashy. And that's not L.A., man. That's not how L.A. does things. You know, the glitz and the glamour 
it's 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 true LA, you know. It you need it, especially in this market where you know you you either win or you know they're going to find another team to root for. And considering where the Chargers are, I don't know. I I don't some of the moves that they've made is just kind of questionable at best, but I, I got to tell you, I, I'm looking forward to uh, when the when the Rams play the Clippers. I mean, Char- Chargers. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <That's horrible>. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that poor guy alone. All right. Um, I guess that seals it for us there. Um, some final thoughts here. Really quick, guys. We've had the uniform issue on the show before. And here today, it's noted once again that the Rams are likely stuck like 99% stuck in the same situation as they were last year at the uniforms. The Rams are not changing it. I guess the Warriors are currently debating if they do want to go ahead and roll new uniforms out for 2019 or wait until 2020. And they're not going to be just the, the, the old throwbacks. So I want to vent this gripe to you and I, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm just being a whiner here on Twitter today, especially Rich Hammond and a couple of the other the LA journalists were saying, look, the team is back. I could care less what uniform they're wearing. For my Cubs, if the Cubs were to go out there and wear plaid, I'd be happy with it. As long as they won their world their world title, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why are people complaining about this uniform thing? And here's my gripe. And tell me if I'm wrong, guys. My gripe is this that uniform represents your franchise. That uniform represents your your logo. It represents the city. It represents your history. It's not just something you wear. It's who you really are. The Rams, the Rams uniforms have been iconic for a long time. The painted helmets, the horned, that that, that blue and the yellow. I kind of have a problem with this attitude, and I don't mean this as any way to be offensive towards Rich Hammonds or any of the journalists. I just disagree with them. I have a problem with this attitude that we should all shut up about the uniforms. It's not a big deal when that uniform, to me, is a legacy uniform. It's like the Packers and the Steelers. Those uniforms are uniforms that carry back decades and decades. Okay, so there's my case. Am I wrong? All right, so there are two, there, there's two ways to look at it for me. Number one, the uniforms have always been iconic because of the horns. And I love the older uniforms, and I've always wished that they would go back to those. But my second point is I don't care if they go out there in a pink tutu as long as they win and make it to the Super Bowl. Granted, I'd rather they wore the older school uniforms to do that, but the uniform, as far as importance to me, is a lot lower than winning. And I know where you're coming from, but I think you probably take it a little more serious than I do and maybe a lot of other people. I don't, well, I'm not placing it above winning, but it does matter to me. It does matter to me. I mean, obviously, I want the team to win. And I'm, the, the team wears that horrid uniform in Dallas this year. And we weren't talking about that as much. We're talking about the fact that they beat Dallas, right? We did. We had this podcast about, we talked a little bit about the uniforms, but we would really focus on, hey, uh, these guys just beat Dallas. So I, it's not that I'm prioritizing the uniform, but it does matter to me. Johnny, it does. Johnny, what do you think? Well, as far as the uniform goes, maybe I don't have the same amount of enthusiasm as Derek does, but I will agree with them for the majority of it because he's right. It is a symbol of our team. It is a symbol that represents uh, the, 
the city, like you said. So it does make a big difference. And I'm not a huge fan of the current color scheme, to be honest. I know a lot of people are just because, you know, it is some history to it. But to me, they'll always represent the Colts, ultimately. It just feels more like the Colts than it does the Rams. I don't like the real old school baby blue and white. And I I mean, if I'm going to go with my opinion on that, the old baby blue and white, I mean, I, I have a Deacon Jones throwback jersey that I wear and I wear it because of Deacon Jones, not because of the colors. I do like the the old school blue and, and yellow and white Rams jerseys, you know, the old throwbacks. And I'd love to see him go to that color. But, you know, for me, it's far more important that they win, even if they go out there and, you know, uniforms that look like they were put together by a five-year-old sometimes. The problem is they were put together by a five-year-old, at least mentally. It's Nike, but that's a different point. Well, but, I, but when you're a Ducks fan and you got 15,000 different, 15, different uniform combinations from Nike, I don't blame them. Well, you don't, you don't, yeah, you're used to the uniform changes, I, I guess, but, and folks, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to beat the dead horse here. We just heard on the news a little bit today, and I wanted to comment on it briefly, and then we're going to move on. It's just really, to me, it's the team, it's the history, it's what it stands for. In reality, it's why I built the site. I view the Rams as a legacy franchise, and a franchise has been around since 1936, actually 37, but we, we go back a little further with Homer, Gar- Homer Marshman. And I just see that that's the colors, that's the tradition, it's the things the Rams did that nobody else did, at least not until they did it. And it matters to me. Is it this massive priority? Is it the end of the world if they don't get the jerseys this year? No. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm not buying another jersey until we know what's going on here. So if they think that they're going to sell more jerseys now, people like me aren't going to buy more. The only thing we're going to buy are throwback jerseys. Well, maybe they'll go to the purple, yellow, and white like the Lakers. Oh, Lordy. That's not even good there. Gosh. Uh, yeah, I'm a purist at heart. Okay, guys. So here we go. It's time for us to sign off. We, we've we've uh, had some longer podcasts of late. We want to try and cut these back down. We know you guys are on the way to work or you're in the gym. We're not trying to keep you here all day. So here we go. We're going to get ready to sign off. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RamsTalk. You can find me at DC Apollo on Twitter. Norm, you can find me at Norm Hightower and Magic Johnny at Johnny5Not6. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google, well, Google Play, Player FM, and of course, iebradio.com. For Norm, Magic Johnny, this is Derek C. Apollo. We'll see you next weekend. Adios. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? 
And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.